0: Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess? I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, welcome back for another episode. Thanks so much for joining me again. This episode is going to be a little unpredictable, I'm going to say, because I have a lot of thoughts in my mind about what I want to talk about. I have a a lot of difficulty in organizing those thoughts. So this will be more of like a processing of what it is that I'm thinking. And so you'll have to just bear with me a little bit on it, and we're going to do the best we can to stay on track and make a point. (laughs) So uh, there may be some choppiness throughout, because if I do get too far off track, I won't hesitate to cut it out in the end, Um, but uh, hopefully it'll all make sense, and there won't be too much of the cutting out, because it just sort of degrades the quality of the audio, so that being said, what are we going to talk about? I don't even really necessarily have a topic really in mind. It's, it's this core issue of what this whole podcast is about is being a little unconventional, going about life in a bit of a different way. And it's not to say that like people, other people don't also do this, but because of the culture that we live in, when people do things the way that I tend to do them, it's it's looked down upon. There's people look at you like you're irresponsible and you're flaky, you can't make up your mind and, and you're, you know, you flit about as if you don't have any sense of responsibility basically. And I don't I don't necessarily think that that's what... I don't know if it's a problem. I think we define it as a problem. But for me, I I like the way that I do things for the most part. And so then I end up with this bit of mental tension of, oh, man... I got to figure out what I'm doing. I got to figure out where I'm going. I need to know what I'm aiming for. I have to have a clear vision in my mind of what I want and and just stick with it and do something and accomplish something and and stay in my lane, basically. And what I've done throughout my life is, in some ways, I've done that. And in other ways, I've, I have done the dabble in things, stick my finger into something and see what I think and, you know, and just kind of keep myself open. And I feel that I get, I gain a lot from doing that because I gain experience in a variety of different things. And I learn a lot about myself when I do those things. But because again, of the way that things are set up culturally and economically and all of the rest of it, um, when you do that, it doesn't necessarily lead to a super lucrative path because, you're not focusing all of your attention and energy on a single thing to get really good at which then you become an expert in it and then people pay you a lot of money to do it and and you know how that whole system works right you go to school for something and you get the education and then you get the work experience and then you move forward through it and and you just get better with time and so you you make more money at it and so this is this is the whole basis of our culture is to have a job or a career that you can build upon and get better and to make more money throughout your life because we are a capitalist culture. That's what, that's what we are all aiming for. So to be someone who bucks that trend quite um, <laughs> strongly, it's challenging because then people ask you all the time, you know, well, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's your plan? You know, like, what is happening? Are you ever going to make any money? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. And here's the thing: like I have a career, you know, I, I have a, a job and a, a master's degree in archaeology, and and I do archaeology. But I'm also a mother, and this there's an interaction there. And trying to do the archaeology while having been pregnant and having newborns, and also doing the master's degree at the same time, it's it hasn't allowed for a ton of progression through my profession because I have so much going on. And because the industry itself isn't necessarily conducive or designed to support family life. And so I want to talk a little bit about the detail of of the specific things within my industry that that are like this and that that don't support family life. But I realize that, and I recognize that this is a problem across lots of industries. Lots of industries are are set up in a way that it was made for men going out to do work and supporting and providing for a family. It was never designed to necessarily support women or other um, a female identifying people who are primary caregivers for small children to be successful in those fields. Um, Certainly not within the area of archaeology that I really love and enjoy doing, which is being in the field. A lot of people in this industry, as they mature through their life and they get older and they take on more of these personal responsibilities, they work towards getting quote-unquote office jobs because then the hours are stable, the location is stable, um, it becomes closer or it becomes a, a salaried position and you get benefits. And so there are all these economic um, benefits to doing things that way, but it draws you out of actually doing the job that you signed up for in the first place, the thing that you liked doing in the first place, which was being outside in the field, digging and excavating and that sort of thing. So from my experience interacting with motherhood and and career life or, you know, uh, work life or whatever. The very first thing that happened was that I couldn't get a job. <laughs> I was not, I was told I couldn't work because I was pregnant. And at that time, you know, the person who said that to me, that the person I was I was asking to work with they work in a part of the industry where it's it's very uh, intense labor, and it's it's out way out sometimes in the middle of nowhere. You're being dropped off somewhere and camping out and stuff. So I understood from a certain perspective that they didn't want to take on the liability of having a pregnant woman on on staff with them at that time. I got that, um, but I didn't have any other connections. To any other jobs out there at the time, so I basically and it and it also was at that time was a bit of a hit to my confidence and my ability to do something. So I just ended up not working at all while pregnant the first time. Then taking a, a mat leave after the baby was born, and then not working again the following summer because then I was trying to get master's stuff done. I was trying to get um, some research stuff done for my project. And then after that, I was pregnant again. (laughs) And then we were moving and there was a lot going on. So again, another season missed of work where I didn't get to do anything in the field. So it wasn't until Bobby was um, a baby. He was, uh, I think, six months old or so, maybe seven months old when I did finally enter back into the field. So this was a full three seasons, no field work. And it felt like a huge gap. It really did. And then I was in a whole new province doing archaeology there, which I hadn't been for quite some time. And um, so it was it was a lot to try to jump back into it. And that first season, it felt really good, but <laughs> it wouldn't last because Nick was home with the kids at that time. So I was I was available to do whatever needed to be done. I mean, to an extent, I obviously had to be home because I had a small baby. And so I couldn't go on like jobs that were away, but they didn't end up even having any, having to ask me to go away for jobs that season. So it all worked out really great. The following season, I, I was, it was a lot more challenging. Nick was working then too, so it was challenging to, make our, both of our schedules work. And then there was a, a few weeks where they only had jobs that were out of town. And in that scenario, you stay in a hotel for five days a week, and then you come home for the weekends. And so we did that. And we were very fortunate to have my sister available to do childcare, um, take over childcare for us during that time. But it was very stressful for everyone. The kids had to be at my sister's by like 6am and they weren't getting picked up until about 6pm. And again, Bobby is is not very old. He's still quite young. Emily's young too, and she has her own kids. And so it was, it was disastrous. It was really not a good situation. So we learned fairly quickly that was not going to work. So now I know at that point, I know that I can't be, I'm not eligible. I'm not available to do jobs that are out of town. And the thing about this industry is that there's no guarantee about where your jobs are going to be located. It can be anywhere in a given region. I mean, we're have we we're based out of uh, southern Ontario, but we've had projects that have operated in northern Ontario. And so people have gone to live up there for months at a time. Um, and the thing is that the... the <laughs> One of the problems for me personally is that these are some of the draws to this profession. I love that this job takes me to different places. I get to explore different cities and see new things, and I love that about the job. But as a parent, as someone who has to look after these small people, that's not an option anymore. So not only is it kind of taking away from the part of the job that I really love, but it's also making me less available to even be working. And then add on top of that, that there's no guarantee that you'll have work at all. There are weeks when there's just nothing happening, so you don't go out. Um, The hours, it's not salary, it's hourly paid, so you only get paid for the time that you're out there. It's weather dependent, so if it rains or any other inclement weather that prevents you from doing the work, you don't get paid then either. (laughs) So there are all these, these parts of it where it's not stable. It's not a stable income. And like I remember, so this was the season. The, the last, the last season that I was out was the one that I had to be going away for work fairly regularly. And even then, I think one time in that whole season, I was able to, uh, I was able to work enough hours to make a full forty-hour week. Uh, after other than that, I never did. And there were some weeks when I would get. Like less than twenty hours in a week. And so the hourly wage is not bad. We get paid relatively well for what we do, but you got to get the hours in <laughs> to get that pay. and that does not happen all the time. So then that was that was last season. And even so that in that September was when Emlyn was starting school. and I was really nervous about having my field job while she started school because before that, uh, daycare was available <clears throat> from the hours before I needed to be at work until um, until I had to come ho- or I was able to come home. Luckily, like our well, not luckily, but <laughs> the the structure of the way that the, the workday operates in this industry is that you go out fairly early in the morning between seven and eight a.m. You're on site until three to four p.m., so you get home earlier. Except for when you're on a project that's somewhere farther away from home, and you have to drive a distance, and so particularly on the way home, it can be a bit stressful getting back in time because uh, competing with traffic and stuff. So at that time, we had her in daycare, and again, it was it was okay, but I knew that she would have to go to before and after school childcare when she entered school. And I was concerned that it was going to be a lot for her to start school and then have to be in before and after care as well for what would amount to probably 10 hours a day. And I thought that that was just too much. I couldn't handle the thought of her going through that and me not being available for her or neither of us being available. Because this is part of the problem. Like I mentioned before, Nick was home with the kids uh when we when i was first getting back in the field but then he went back to work and his job is highly demanding he works a very very demanding job in construction and so their hours are ridiculous they work crazy hours and he gets set off same thing as sort of what i do he gets put on projects that are not close to home and so he has hours of commuting each day as well and so he is just not available and the 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 biggest issue here is that well it's not an even it's not an issue but um he makes a lot more money than I do. So we have to prioritize his job. We can't even prioritize my job because even if I were to, were able to get in and, and be as available as I possibly could be, I still wouldn't make quite as much money as what he makes. So we have to prioritize it. So then I have to be the one to prioritize the kids. And I don't resent that in any way. I mean, I love my children. So this isn't something where I'm like, I have to look after my kids. It's It was more like, okay, I'm going to take this on and I'm going to, and I'm going to be there for my kids. And I want that for them. So, but that meant that I had to give up my job. (laughs) And so I ended up going back to a retail job, which I had left eight years prior because I wanted to go out and find bigger and better things for myself. And, you know, so this is a bit of a a point of, of, uh, (laughs) I don't know, disappointment for me because like, I left that job so I could find a better work. And I did, but then my life sort of interacted with that job in a way that it didn't make it a great option for me. The retail job was great because it was close to home. The hours were stable and flexible. The pay was hourly, but it was consistent. So I always knew what my paycheck was going to be at the end of the week. So for those reasons, it was a good option for me. It's not a great job because retail is (laughs) just not somewhere that People get a lot of respect, and people are treated very well. So it it was a lot of of poor treatment for me, and come, having come from a job where like I was really respected and people did get along with me, and I I felt very valued and and appreciated there. Going to this retail job, it felt it was a huge hit to me emotionally, and I suffered a lot because of that. So I worked there from like uh, September through March. And the longer I stayed there, the more I realized how much I missed my other job and how much I wanted to make that job work. And so I sat down with my HR guy, and this I, this is one of the the nice things about at least the company that I work for is that they're also very flexible. So I sat down with them and I said, "Look, I want to come back, but I need to lay out some some boundaries here for my hours and stuff." And so I knew that I would be taking a hit for my pay or whatever, because I said, I'm not going to be available to be on site before this time. I'm going to have to leave by this time. I can't be out of town and I can't go anywhere more than an hour drive from home. And he said, that's fine. We we like you. We, we think you are very good at this job and we want to keep you around. So we're happy to accommodate you. But that all comes at a cost to me. I'm the one who ultimately bears that cost because then I'm less uh, able to be relied on and... Um, I'm losing pay <laughs> because of this, and it's also really stressful for me because that means that I am doing all of the care and all of the work prior to my kids, b- b- prior to my kids getting dropped off, and me going to work. I'm doing all of the care and all of the work after they're coming home from school, and so it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take on. Now, <laughs> I actually don't know for sure how stressful exactly that would have been because, of course, COVID sort of <laughs> waved upon us and that and so I, that was in late March I was supposed to start mid April the the field job and so that never happened because I was suddenly thrown into a position to be home with the kids 24/7 Nick was working full time so he wasn't available to do any childcare at that time we didn't have access to any childcare we completely cut ourselves off from all of our social circle which is what we were supposed to do but it meant that I was it, I was on board I was it was me 24/7 so I was not available to do any kind of work and that was hard <laughs> that was really really hard but it's brought me to a place where now I'm again I'm processing this stuff and I'm processing how I'm going to move forward in my career because I really felt in March or you know fe- even February of this year I felt very ready. I thought okay, I'm ready to start doing my job to the absolute best of my ability, giving it everything that I have within the boundaries that I have set out and accepting that reality and just moving forward from there. And whatever happens happens, right? Maybe my company and maybe the industry and the world will move to a place where we're not going to punish women or or people who are caregivers for children for prioritizing their family and trying to balance it out with their jobs. That was where my mind was at. <laughs> and it still kind of is there, but at the same time, again, this all of this stuff going on, I'm thinking, I I lost out on my job completely. I've been out in the field approximately four days, more like three days per month since the end of July. And that's basically nothing. It's enough for me to get a little bit of vitamin D every now and then and and feel like I'm connected to my job, but it's it's nothing the pain there's no no benefit financially to doing it. It's just something that I can do to keep me connected to to my job and to the people that I enjoy being around and all of that so it's it's leading me this situation is leading me to again evaluate where. I'm going in my career because, you know, motherhood, this, this level of being involved with their children is not going to last forever, but it's not going to go away that soon. Nick and I were talking about, well, in some, you know, however many, however long from now, the kids will be able to get themselves to school and stuff. And I said, you know, like they've got to be at least 10 years old to do that. So I've got at least another five years before my kids are independent enough to, to do those things on their own. And even then, I'm not sure 10 is even old enough. So. I mean, I've always, and I've been struggling with this for the past couple of years. Um, I went through a phase three years ago, two years, I don't remember now. But anyways, a couple of uh, fall seasons ago where we looked at buying a cafe. We were like, there was this woman who lived near us and we knew her, and we knew that this cafe had been there forever. And she wa- she was selling it, and she wanted someone to take over to just run the cafe and do this catering stuff. And I had worked for my mom's friend at a cafe when I was a teenager, and it was one of my favorite jobs. And I thought this is so nice; it's simple, and and it would be my own thing. You know, it wouldn't be me working for somebody else because that's always a thing or whatever. Um, But the problem was that we weren't buying the property, we were buying the business. And so we were advised that that was not a good plan. If you're going to invest in something like that, you want to be owning property because at the end of it, you make your money on the property and not the business. The business itself doesn't really generate a huge um, profit for you. So we decided that wasn't going to be the thing we were going to do. And even then, Nick said to me, too, you need to be focusing on what it is that, you, that you're that you training for. And, you know, you're trained to be an archaeologist. You, you should do archaeology. So because even after that, I went to another interview to take on a job as an accountant. Someone wanted to train me to be an accountant. And I ended up actually not even getting that job because I talked so much in my interview about archaeology that they emailed me and they said, we really think that you love this other job and that you should be pursuing that otherwise they they would have given it to me um because I was at a point then when I wasn't even sure what I wanted to do yet so they weren't convinced that I was over archaeology yet and that I should keep trying to do it so you know I get these signals from the world that like I love archaeology I love that job I love what I do but trying to fit myself into that industry in the situation that I'm in, is is so hard. It's so challenging. And so there's lots of times when I want to just get out. And ultimately, the phrasing that I've used in the past to describe this relationship I have to my career is that I love my job, I love archaeology, but it doesn't love me back. <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but it's true. It is very, very hard to keep pushing forward to keep trying to get into the industry. I feel like I've made no progress in this career in years because it's a constant stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. It's not something that I can just really continuously work on over time. Like I can to an extent, but also I can't. <laughs> I have to be in the field to be doing, to be progressing as much as I I, I need to be to get through this this industry. But I'm just... Getting held up every time. And so it's gotten to a point of frustration because then I think, am I making the right choice by continuing to pursue this? If I keep going on this path, will it get easier? And one of the hardest things for me to confront is that it really doesn't get much easier as I go. It takes many years to get the, to the level of experience that I need to get to to progress through the company. Um, and the things that are problems, the things that I have to, that interact with my life negatively at this point, don't go away. Those are stable. And the life that I have is stable. So they're they're fundamentally at oppositions with each other. And so sometimes it does feel like I just, I could just go do something else. I could just start fresh on something else because that would be Easier and simpler. And that may be true, it may not be true. But I think as I continue to chart my path and I see the things that have been going on, I realize a couple of things. First of all, um, patience is super important here. I think I expect to get places quickly, and that's not necessarily going to happen. So being more patient in letting things unfold the way that they're going to naturally without trying to force it is really important. And the other thing that I realize is I really have to continue to pay attention to those signals when people hear me talk about doing archaeology as a job and how much I love it. And they go, wow, you really love that job. You clearly are very invested and very excited about it. And so Recognizing the privilege of that for what it is, the privilege and the opportunity to be in love with what you do and being willing to push through the challenges, to break down the barriers, to get to the love, to continue to to love what you do. And not only that, but, you know, there's this recognition that if I do this, there's the chance that somebody else who's in a similar position as me in the future might also want to do this and so now there is a path charted for that person for that generation to push through those same bound those same barriers and not be held back by the same things and not perhaps not have to go through so many trials and tribulations or you know have their own path to to take these things on with. And of course, you know, I'm unique. I do things my own way. I like to, to do all kinds of different things at the same time. And so that's part of the, the, again, the reason why the patience is so important, because if I'm not focusing on a singular thing at one time and and just, and just picking away at that constantly, then yes, it's going to take longer to get to where you're going. But I do think that, um, I'm on the right path I just have to do it and be patient and I will um, I'll keep you posted on on how I I keep going here and I really hope that things sort of turn around for me but I'm I'm always I'm an eternally optimistic person so I think it's gonna work out one way or another and I want you to know that. If you're also at a crossroads or you're also unsure of what you're doing, you know, take a look back at, at where you are, where you've come from, how far you've come and sort of take some stock of things in that way and also apply your your your, your patience, be patient, let things unfold for you. Um, try the things if you want to and don't feel any shame or, or regret about trying those things. Um, Let them be lessons for you, even if that's all it is. It's just a life lesson because those are important too. So yeah, uh, like I said, I'll I'll keep you updated on how things go at this this whole, take another crack at it. And uh, yeah, this is the messy middle. This is what the messy middle looks like. Being completely unsure of yourself, having no idea where you're going or how you're going to get somewhere or get anywhere, but, but going full force into it anyway. So thank you again for joining me. I am so glad that you took some time out of your day to listen to this episode. And as always, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find my information in the show notes And, uh, if you have any comments or anything you want to share about the podcast, I would love it. If you would leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to, because then I get to see it. Everybody else who listens to the podcast gets to see it and, uh, it will help also promote the podcast on those platforms as well. So thank you again. I hope you're well and that you stay well and I will see you in the next one.